hope that we can serve as an example of actually technology is best when you can augment humans, when you can combine and take the human and add the technology and build something that's greater than the sum of the two parts. Um, and I think we're a really good example of that, where you really need the accountability and the human emotion and the um, compassion. That's like the key ingredient for our clients more so than anything else. And that, you know, maybe someday uh, general artificial intelligence will get there, but we're not there yet. And the technology can really tell you what to eat. It can really tell you what workout to do. It can even tell the coach like, like what time of day to respond and, and give a lot of insight into how to be the best coach, but it can't provide the compassion. And people can tell when people are compassionate versus when they're not. And when they're compassionate, they actually fall through and change their behavior and get healthier. All right, welcome everybody to another episode of Sobre Mesa Podcast. We have today with us John Gardner, founder and CEO of Kickoff, part of FJ's portfolio, and building an online fully remote training platform. They cover both nutrition and fitness. They use AI to match you with the best coach out there according to your needs and goals, and you'll have access to customized workouts to personalize nutrition and most importantly in my opinion to feedback and advice from the coaches themselves um they're on a mission to and let me quote this because i think this is important to put a massive dent in the global obesity epidemic by helping millions of people build amazing businesses so qu quite a statement there and i think there are two things to highlight uh from from my end is number one the consumer your consumer facing app that's tackling not or trying to help no less than um, a global epidemic. And number two is this concept of business in a box for coaches, which is very much in line with the things that we've been discussing around the future of work. So I expect a very insightful and maybe even controversial conversation, John. Um, I'm very happy Hopefully. to have you here. So, so, so welcome. Yeah. Th thanks so much, Matthias. Great to be here. Awesome. So let's start from the beginning. Let's start from the genesis of of kickoff. And you know, lots of lots of successful entrepreneurs talk about their pain points. They were thinking about the idea or something that impacted them in their lives. And I want to ask you, what really inspired you to start to start kickoff? Yeah, for sure. Um, and you know, I think a lot of entrepreneurs like to paint it as a really straight line, very clear path from. From point A to point B, and I think it certainly was not that for me. It's been uh, a quite a wild ride, but it does go way back in in my history. I, I I'm from I'm from Georgia, from a place that has a lot of obesity, from a family that had dealt with a lot of obesity related issues, from um, heart disease, stroke, diabetes. It had just been something that's like constantly in my family and an issue that was at the forefront uh, of my mind from from a very early age. Um, and I saw the impact that that can make on, um, uh, you know, on my family members, uh, and just the, you know, burden that it had on them. So I, I think I had an idea that I wanted to work on this problem from a very early age. I got really serious about it during college, thinking about the fact that, uh, there, there's gotta be a way technology can, uh, can help here. Um, but I didn't know exactly how I didn't know the angle. I didn't know why. There seems to be infinite fitness and nutrition options and solutions on the on the market, but they don't seem to be doing any good. In fact, they seem to be going the opposite direction as we know more and we have more 
Um, so I just got more and more interested in this. And I'm also super interested in behavioral psychology and behavioral economics and why people make illogical decisions, why we can decide that we're going to eat a certain thing, but then not actually follow through with that, why we can decide that we're going to start exercising and we don't follow through with it. Uh, but I just, you know, kept kept an open mind, kept learning about this. And over time, I kind of developed a, a, a perspective on um, what really matters when it comes to behavior change and the, the changes that you need to make to actually stay healthy. And we came to the conclusion that it really comes down to human accountability. You need to have a human who's pushing you to make big changes. And it, ha- it has to be a very powerful um, uh, bias towards um, making that change that comes from working with a human. And so that, that's kind of how, right. how I came to kick off and got started. John, one, one thing that you mentioned uh, that that's funny and I wanted to ask is, you know, you launched this not that long ago. And so when you launched, there were you know, many, many f- other fitness apps with different flavors and different approaches. But like, what were you, maybe talk about, did you have kind of insecurities or questions around, hey, I'm going to launch yet another fitness app. And did you go through with it because of your confidence on, hey, we have a differentiator approach uh, and all of these people are maybe not doing it the right way? Or was it, I don't even care. This is a urging desire that I have and something I want to tackle. And so I'm going to go with it uh, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. It's a good question because um, everyone around me from the very beginning has been very worried about this, uh, that, that it's a crowded marketplace. There's a lot of solutions already. How are you possibly going to make a difference? And the honest truth is I've never been the slightest bit worried about that at all. Not even a little bit. Uh, and the reason is, I just know they're not working. The the solutions on the market are failing us, and they're failing us horribly. And for the the less well off you are, the more they're failing. Um, so if you look at the statistics, the obesity rates, the diabetes rates, the heart disease rates, they're highest amongst the working class and middle class people. They're not, you know. And there's a lot of attention paid at the wrong segment of the market. And, and so that's part of it is I think that when people say there's a lot of solutions, I think they mean there's a lot of solutions for the 1% and the 0.1%. There's not a lot of solutions and there's nothing that's working. And so I never was the least bit intimidated by, oh gosh, there's so much competitors. I don't, I see competitors of people who can actually help people get fit. And of those, I think there's very few and they have very little penetration in the market. Um, so I think we have infinite opportunity Um and I think that that's kind of what makes us um, a little bit of a contrarian um, fit because we don't think we're in a crowded marketplace while everyone else does. Yeah, you you mentioned this as in previous conversations that at the out of shape majority, right? Which I think it's 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 a pretty interesting um, you know, choice on the consumer segment. John, what, what maybe what would be helpful is if you can. Tell us the story about the first user that you had. And, and I think you you know who I'm referring to. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. what are some of the insights that you that you draw from that first kind of MVP that you build around her? Right. Yep. Yep. So our first user was my mom. Um, and this violates yet another like principle of entrepreneurship. You're not supposed to start with your mom, but <laughs> I did. Uh, we so like I said, it had been an the, the issue of obesity and how to get in shape had been something that's been plaguing my entire family for a long time. My mom, uh, for sure as well. And she tried everything, everything on the market, nothing, nothing was working just like it doesn't work for most of our clients when they come to us. Um, and I had the hypothesis that I could help her and help others 
by just providing really efficient, light touch, convenient accountability and programming for her. And so we just did it over a uh, text message. And I was still working my at my last job at BuildZoom and uh, just, uh, you know, off hours, I was texting her, sending her a workout, sending her a nutrition plan, getting her to text back what she actually completed and uh, what she was eating. And we just worked to get 1% better every day. And it was very simple, but it was daily. And I think the daily aspect was the key. We learned very quickly that it needed to be daily because nutrition, especially and exercise, but especially nutrition is a daily battle that people have to win. Um, and just having a little bit of a nudge every day that I'm watching and, and, and that support and guidance on terms of what to eat and what not to eat and um, really made all the difference. And uh, over the course of about a year, she lost 80 pounds and completely changed her life. She picked back up in tennis, which is now the like, core of her social life. Uh, she plays tennis like four times a week now. She couldn't do it before. And this is the kind of change that we have seen possible. So I learned you know, the intricacies of how to engage with the client. It needs to be daily. It needs to be small steps. It needs to be 1% improvements. It cannot be we're changing everything overnight. That's not sustainable. Uh, it needs to be incremental changes every single day. Um, and I learned the impact it can have and how valuable it is to people. It completely changes their lives. It can give them their life back, um, make them feel better, make them more confident, get them back into the activities and things they love to do, and hopefully save their lives and extend their lives for a long time. And so it was super exciting and motivating to me. And, um, you know, I haven't wanted to do anything else but build this business ever since. That's that's incredible. And And I think going back to the choice of, customer segment, which is, again, this out-of-shape majority. This is not kind of for the already fit um, person that wants a high-end workout or something very fancy. This is for the out-of-shape majority. And I think the choice that you're making also implies, and I'm curious to get your your view on this, uh, a market failure as well from, and maybe let's only talk about the US, but this is true for uh, for the entire world, but especially in the U.S. And I don't have the, the most precise data on this. Um, you may have better data than I do, but I think like one in three adults in the U.S. are medically obese. And so, you know, what what have we, what haven't we done right? And how do you, how do we get here? Like, again, going back to the customer choice that you, that you made. Yeah. Yeah. The latest data I've seen is 40%. So forty wow. percent obese, um, and it's only getting and, worse, right? And it's only getting worse. Pandemic didn't help, um, but even before pandemic, it was it was rapidly getting worse. So the data you mentioned might have been just a couple years ago. Um, it's rapidly getting worse, and and that is true around the world. You mentioned like the U.S. is near the forefront. I think a couple of countries have even worse. Mexico being one of them, having worse epidemics, but it's the whole world um, is following in the U.S.'s footsteps, unfortunately. Um, and yeah, it's a, it's a complete market failure um, because, and, and I believe it's because um, up until now, the solutions that have actually worked, which almost always involve human labor, have been prohibitively expensive to all but the ultra wealthy. Um, and, you know, even healthy food is prohibitively expensive to all but the ultra wealthy. And uh, that's where I, that's where I get excited about technology. Um, I'm that's a that's a paradox for me in, in the U.S., right? I'm, I'm from Argentina, and I and I came to the U.S. a couple of years ago. And I remember going to a supermarket and seeing, you know, wanted to buy butter or cereal or whatever, and having almost complete aisles of different options. And so the paradox to me for in the U.S. is 
is one of the places in the world that you have most options and you have keto stuff and paleo stuff and like everything that you want, um, but still have an extremely, you know, a rampant obesity issue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we'll, you'll find that for someone who's extremely out of shape, the answer is not keto. That that is that is completely unsustainable and unrealistic. It's too much of a change too quickly. Um, it may work in theory, but people have to actually stick with it. And and who wants to stick with that from nothing? Like that's just that's just too hard. It's not worth it. You know, eating is a big happy part of life, and we're not you know just completely changing your entire life to go from eating McDonald's to keto. Yeah, you can do that for a month, maybe if you're really strong. But after that, you're going to go back to your old ways. And so that's what that's what we see. We see infinite, there's infinite solutions, right? It's not just nutrition. There's infinite good, healthy food out there. There's infinite ways to approach nutrition, but there's also infinite great free workouts on YouTube. There's infinite um, knowledge out there about sleep and what you need to do. But the key is actually doing it and doing it in a way that builds habits where it becomes routine and daily every single day. And that there hasn't been solutions that do that, except for the ultra ultra wealthy. They've had the nutritionists, they've had the the cooks, and they've had the um, trainers for a long time, and it actually works for them. And that's why you don't see this problem amongst the ultra wealthy at the same rate. And we want to bring that to everyone. Yeah, I guess that's the that was my point, and and one of the main insights on on kickoff is yeah, it could be at some to some degree some sort of education problem. I think that could be not easily, but somewhat solved. But even to your point, even if you have the options, even if you have the education, you know, I know I should go X amount of times to train, or I know what should roughly, what should I be eating and what should I not be eating? But that doesn't mean that I could, and I could actually do it. And so the, right. the accountability piece that, that you were mentioning before, I think is absolutely key to this. And so right. this is a nice segue into the more kind of meaty questions around the, around the business. And one of the things that, that, that was very interesting to me around Kickoff is the non-obvious choice for a consumer-facing app like Kickoff to focus relentlessly on the on the supply side or on the coach side. Can you maybe walk us through that decision and and what informed that that focus? Uh, yeah, sure. So you know, again, like it was not a linear path. It wasn't like a, we we knew this day one. What we knew is that technology could massively increase the efficiency and effectiveness of a trainer such that we could take something that is normally for the 1% and make it affordable for, you know, 80% of the population um, just by massively increasing the efficiency and reducing the time and labor it took. We knew that, we proved that. And then we saw in that process, we saw that there was phenomenal interest from people who wanted to make their living or at least part of their living off of helping others. Um, and they just couldn't do it because there's not a market because no one can afford it. And so it's kind of a cyclical thing. It's like, it's too, ex it's too expensive. So it prices too many people out. And so there's not enough uh, clientele for most, most trainers to get. But because we've massively increased the efficiency, uh, now there's a way larger audience and we can enable a lot more people to come into the market as trainers. Um, and our goal as a company is to take someone who may not know all of that much, you know, may not have the most expertise when they come in, uh, may not be a registered dietitian, but who is super motivated to help others, super motivated to learn and use our technology to learn 
And most of all, it's able to connect and build trust and rapport with clients because that's the part the technology can't do is the rapport with clients that drives accountability, which is the most important benefit of a trainer is the actual accountability to stick with the, the habits that you're, you're, you're making. Um, and, and you and have so, both, right? You have the marketplace and the, on the coach led growth engine as well. Right. Exactly. Um, and we're increasingly, um, we increasingly have partnerships, um, with employers and with, um, healthcare providers as well. Uh, all the folks who have, a, who have, a uh, interest in the health of their stakeholders. Right. Um, uh, so we have, yeah, we, 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 we see, we see the need from lots of different angles, but, um, from the coach's perspective, you know, they are eager to help others. They want to, they're, they're not money motivated primarily. Their primary motivation is to help others, but they also need to pay the rent every month. And they're desperately looking to do that. And then we come along and say, we're going to help you become an awesome marketer and find your clients. Then we're going to guide you through the perfect nutrition exercise to prescribe to clients. Um, and we're, we're going to, um, you know, reward you really, really well by giving you tons of clients and a really great dollar per hour effective wage because they can ramp up to a very large number of clients. And that, um, message and that opportunity, um, resonated much more than I ever expected with prospective trainers. And so originally we were thinking these would be employees and we bring on just a few at a time early on, but we got inundated. They, I think the first day we got over a thousand applications in, in 24 hour period for the job. And that's when I was like, to answer your question, that's when I was like, Oh, there's, this is a market, this is a marketplace. We need to enable coaches just as much as we're enabling clients. And, um, we've, you know, that's, that hasn't changed. Like people really, really want to make their living helping others. They really love that idea. Very specific. Um, this could be people that knew stuff already that could potentially be trainers or could potentially be dietitians, but also this other part of your explaining is could be an Uber driver. It could be me. It could be someone who has some knowledge, wants to learn and leverages all of the tools that Kickoff is providing. And then the right. most important piece that they're providing is their actual accountability and feedback and they're there for them. And actually they, br they bring people from, you know, their close inner circles as well. Right. So it also helps mm -hmm. boost the demand side. Right. Yes, exactly. That's so awesome. we would, we would much rather have a highly emotionally intelligent, compassionate and motivated um, person who has less expertise and teach them the expertise, then have someone who has expertise, but isn't super uh, emotionally intelligent, doesn't connect with people, um, and is more of a you know robot. That that we don't need, and there's not really room for, um, because we can teach them what they need to know, and our coach app will guide them um, very very uh, carefully. But you can't teach compassion like that. That has to be um, that. That's what the the human offers, and. I think this is so this one 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 point I wanted wanted to make that I think is really important is I, I think that technology, Silicon Valley, and just the economy right now thinks of technology as primarily as a way to replace humans and to gain efficiency through just automating tasks away. And I I, I hope that we can serve as an example of Actually, technology is best when you can augment humans, when you can combine and take the human and add the technology and build something that's greater than the sum of the two parts. Um, and I think we're a really good example of that, where you really need the accountability and the human emotion and the um, compassion 
that's like the key ingredient for our clients more so than anything else. And that, you know, maybe someday uh, general artificial intelligence will get there, but we're not there yet. And the technology can really tell you what to eat. It can really tell you what workout to do. It can even tell the coach like, like what time of day to respond and, and give a lot of insight into how to be the best coach, but it can't provide the compassion and people can tell when people are compassionate versus when they're not. And when they're compassionate, they actually fall through and change their behavior and get healthier. Yeah. Right. Another, another question I had in, and, and feel free to delve into the, you know, ups and downs and part of the, of the excitement of, of talking to you and not to, you know, an ex-CEO of a multi-billion dollar company, which has the rosy, you know, benefit of hindsight is that, you know, let's get into that nuance of maybe at first it wasn't like this and maybe like then it changed because of XYZ factors. Um, and one of the other things that I was interesting when talking to you is, you know, lots of founders have this North star, which is growth and, and, basically customer acquisition and just keep growing with, with customers. Obviously that's important for kickoff. It's a consumer business, but um, you mentioned one of your North stars is actually retention and engagement. And this is even today, one of the most important things that you go after. So, so maybe tell us a bit more about that and what are some things that you can do as a business um, as a, as a, as a founder to improve that retention or to make sure that people are staying with your product, not only being acquired. Yeah, totally. Um, so in terms of the why, um, it's very simple. Uh, there, there's infinite need for actually getting fit and, and being able to go from very out of shape or obese to healthy and not out of shape. There's just infinite demand for that. And then, and I believe the willingness to pay is very high, even amongst middle-class working class people, um, because it's just one of their, it's their top one or two problem in the world. Um, and so we believe very strongly that the more that we get the um, the ex client experience right and actually get people healthy at a more and more consistent rate, the growth is going to take care of itself. And everything that we've ever seen so far shows that's the case. Every time we improve retention, our growth increases, word of mouth increases, everything just gets better. Coaches get happier because they have clients that are staying longer. Everything just works. And the growth part of the equation is... Um, Easier, but it kind of fall. It, it's easier, and it falls out of the retention, um, and the just a client experience. So um, we see retention as like the barometer of of whether we're doing a good job on um, client experience. We like the fact that our model is a SaaS with SaaS subscription with no contract, and so we're we have to prove value to clients every single month. Then the coach has to prove value to clients every single month. Client can also change coaches at any time. So they really need to be, we have to, we all have to be doing our best and actually prove, proving our worth every single month or, or the client's going to go. And uh, we like that because that's how we actually make a difference in the world. Um, and, and what's more like really our entire product kind of is a retention machine. That's the whole point of it is retention of habits. It's getting the client to actually uh, eat better and uh, go for better exercise and better sleep on a daily basis. It's not going to be perfect, but, you know, continuing to push at it and get better at it forever. It's a not never ending uh, uh, journey. And it's super exciting when it's you're making progress in the right direction. And when we do that, clients don't leave and they stay. So to your second part of your question, um, what do we need to do? Uh, there's a lot of things. And I, that's one of the things I, I, I absolutely adore my job. And I think my colleagues do too, because 
there's just a lot of different pieces to it and they're all really interesting and different. So on one, on one level, we need to make sure that we have uh, the best coaches, the most compassionate coaches ready to go, ready to uh, acquire, go find recruit clients and accept clients that come to us at all times, uh, make sure that they have the, the bandwidth to accept them, uh, make sure we're giving to the right people at the right time and not when they're overwhelmed um, because they are going to need to actually be able to emotionally engage with the client. So that's a big challenge and something we're working on a lot is like when, like how many clients can a coach take, how quickly and, you know, when are they, when are they overloaded and they need some time? Just is that just just testing and iterating with, with different parameters or how do you even go about it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's definitely test and learn, but it's also, you know, understanding what, uh, what factors make someone more or less able to, uh, take on additional clients. Part of it is like how, how long they've been training in the world, how long they've been training with us. Um, uh, what other things they have going on in their life? If they have other other jobs, other side jobs, other full time jobs, um, and you know whether they tend to focus on nutrition, exercise, both equally, all of these things determine like how fast someone can scale up and how how many clients they can take on at a time. And it's very important. We don't we want to we want to give coaches as many clients as we can as quickly as we can and get them started with it. But we don't want to do it so much so that the client experience suffers. And so finding that sweet spot is a big focus for us. Um, in addition, uh, we've long, we've all, from the very beginning, I like, we made, I made my life very difficult by focusing on exercise, nutrition, sleep, and wellness all at once from the very beginning. It's like another like rule book of startup 101 is you start as narrow as possible and like small feature as possible. And we did the opposite. We did lots of features across the wellness stack up front. And um, I knew that was going to be hard and that was a challenge, but we felt that it was necessary because actual wellness depends on all of those factors working together in harmony. You can't, you can't lose weight by only working on exercise or only working on nutrition. You've got to do the combination of the two. You got to do sleep as well. If you're not sleeping, your metabolism slows, everything, your you know mood is going to suffer. Nothing's going to work. And so we worked on all of those from the beginning and now we're going back and we're iterating each piece. And right now our focus is on nutrition. This quarter, our focus is like squarely on nutrition to make our nutrition program the best in the world. Um, uh, and, um, you know, we kind of go one, one piece at a time next quarter might be workouts. Um, probably do you have, workouts, so. do you have a view on, obviously, like you said, ideally you tackle this from every single point of view, but given that it's so hard to change habits, um, do you have a view on if you had to pick at least at the beginning for out of shape majority to focus on fitness slash workouts versus nutrition? What do you think is more important at least at the beginning or what can give you most of the benefit from the get-go? So uh, I, I gonna, I'm going to give you a, a little bit of a cop-out answer, which is I really think it's the, the, the combination. I think you're better off working. I think you're better off being less ambitious, but doing both than being more ambitious and doing one, if that makes sense. What we've found is, so the short answer is nutrition matters more when it comes to weight loss than exercise. That's for sure. You can lose weight with, with changing your diet um, with no change to exercise. It's very, very hard to do the opposite. That said, exercise helps a lot. And we have found that 
working on exercise and getting into a good rhythm of three to four to five, ideally even more workouts per week that are easy and not too, not too scary. Just like the, like a good, good starting point for some people, it's even just a walk, just getting in the rhythm of doing workouts helps nutrition because we change our, we change our client's mindset of I am. So I'm a couch potato to, I am a fitness nut. And, you know, we, they get in the mode of I'm investing in my health by exercising. And so I'm not going to squander that by eating poorly. I'm going to also eat better. And I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen it too. Like when you have a good workout, you know, a lot of times you'll feel like, actually, you know what? I want to like double down on this. I want to like eat really well and like, feel like I'm really like doing the best I can. And our clients do that as well. So we really think that the combination of small changes in exercise and nutrition together, um, really really helps. Do you think this puts you more in a bucket, more closer to the nooms of this world versus the Pelotons or tonals or other kind of just workout apps out there? And Noom is this, you know, it has for the listeners out there that are not familiar, it, it lets you track your food intake and your and your training. And it was last valued at $3.7 billion. So obviously doing tremendously well. Yeah. So um uh for now, we're really lucky to not fit in either category. We we're 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 both and neither, right? We we we're actually the uh, pretty much the only techno technology solution that does both and with equal focus on both. A lot of, a lot will like nod at nutrition or nod at exercise. I think Noom slightly nods at exercise, but they don't really do exercise, right? They do nutrition, um, and a lot of other fitness solutions will nod at nutrition, but they don't really nutrition. They do fitness, and we believe that it's equally both. And so that's why I answered your last question is both. Um, uh, so, and that, that will change eventually, you know, people are going to get onto the fact that you have to do both. I'm, I'm sure about it. Um, and that's why we want to make each part of our wellness program as strong as it possibly can be to build differentiation and to be better than anyone else, um, as quickly as possible. Um, but, uh, that aside, I think Noom is, is very interesting to us. I think they target, they're one of the few that targets a broad swath of the population, you know, from wealthy people down to working class people, like all, you know, all of the above. And it's not an exclusive thing. It's a inclusive thing. And that I really love. And so I really admire that about them. And I think in that way, we're more like them in terms of who our For target sure. customer is. And I think you're also similar in, in the sense that you're also tackling those habits and trying to create those habits and induce behavioral change um, through call it product hacks or, or the, the dynamic of the apps, which I think is the real key here. It's not just a fancy app that if you're motivated enough, you'll use it. If not, that's it. Um, question on, on the churned and this this uh, thankfully doesn't happen that that often but on on those customers that end up churning i'm assuming there's two big buckets one that are you know just didn't like the product or whatever found it expensive or could could blame it on you in a way or the others that are more um hey this you know they were motivated enough to start they got the hook but then they couldn't you know follow through with it is there a way those are probably easier to reacquire is there a way or do you have any tactics or best practices to kind of nudge these people that churned or were inactive for a way uh for a while again back into the into the system yeah interesting i thought you were going to say there's the people who said that we you know just weren't a fit versus the people who 
you know, we solve our problem. We, we, what actually it is, we, there's people who aren't a fit, and then there's people who are a phenomenal fit, and we work ourselves out of a job. And it's kind of the kind of like problem. kind of like yeah yeah kind of like Tinder right that that you right. find you or or Hinge or whatever uh, interesting right. yeah that's a third that's a third bucket I guess yeah and and about eighty percent of our churn is the latter bucket we do have some people like first week they're just like this isn't for me I need in person like like you know they just they have organ rejection against anything that's not in person so we definitely have that and we're working working on it. Um, but I think the bigger opportunity and the thing that's more exciting is to work on the people that for whom we are phenomenally successful, they get to their goals, they really change their lives. Um, you know, how do we stay relevant to them? Um, how do we come back, bring them back in the fold? What we do find is that, uh, you know, it's very easy to slip out of habits over time if you're not investing in them, if you're not active and, and clients can do it on their own, but they've got to have, they've got to really feel the, the, the push, the pressure and actually subscribing to something like kickoff really helps with that. And so a lot of them want to come back. Um, and it's a matter of, and I think we're still in the early days of figuring out the best way to do that. I think um, we're thinking about, you know, different ways we can provide value, keep, keep people um, focused on their, uh, on their wellness goals when they're even though they're not training with us, so that when they decide they want to refocus on it even more, they will be top of mind and they'll be ready to come back. Um, we haven't focused on that too too much because we're you know mainly just focused on keeping people from the get go. But that's going to be an increasing focus for us over time as as you know we age as a company. I guess that's a good problem to have, right? You being successful in what you you set out set out to, and hopefully that LTV of that customer. Um, even if it's a super fast, you know, from out of shape to in shape, uh, hopefully that pays itself as well. Um, you mentioned one word, retent, um, sorry, uh, remote, which everything reminder, this is just a pure remote only online, um, application, but you guys are also remote, right? As a company, as a business, and you've been, you've been so since day one before even COVID. Is we, that so? Uh, we've been hybrid since day one and i'd say we're still hybrid um we have people um we have a, a small group of people here in new york um uh but for the most part we operate as a totally distributed company and if we happen to be in person we happen to be in person and so we've always done that from from day one we've operated that way um my my co-founder was the uh leading adherent to that um uh, our cto from an engineering standpoint, it's just very, very advantageous for hiring and for engineering focus uh, to be, you know, just able to like focus and be at home and like um, churn out product. Um, and so that was a focus for for engineering team from the very beginning. And then it was easy when you know COVID hit for us to go totally remote for a while. And now we're we're hybrid with a focus on remote, and it's been working super well for us. And so you being hybrid fully remote and now back hybrid again. What mm -hmm. are, because I think most businesses, especially young businesses are struggling with this or thinking through what's the best form of, is it fully remote? Is it fully in person? We need to be in person for creative purposes or let's try out a hybrid approach and there's a broad spectrum of things that you can do. What are some of the benefits that you see from the remote world versus this hybrid setup? And do you have anything any best practices or anything that has worked for you guys that maybe others, other entrepreneurs listening can can maybe apply for themselves too? Yeah, for sure. Um, what 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 I've learned is that 
um, being remote forces good discipline of things you should do anyway. And, you know, a lot of the arguments for in-person um, work, I think, are really arguments to um, be undisciplined and like let things fall back. So for instance, um, you know, a big, big piece of why I think some companies want to be in person is to uh, ensure employees are being productive during working hours and get things done. But like, we shouldn't have to be watching someone to ensure that they're productive. They should be inspired, motivated, properly um, unblocked and um, uh, enabled to want to produce as much as possible. And that's what we focus on. And it's harder. It's way harder than just watching someone work. And in the short term, it, you know, but it, in the long run, that's just better. Um, and um, I think having really good understanding, and we're constantly working at this, but a really good understanding of what needs to be a live conversation versus what should be an asynchronous written conversation is really important. We recently moved everything from about 17 different sources into Notion. So Notion is now our Kanban, our product development uh, management system, uh, but also uh, our documentation of everything that we do. Um, we're a big fan of it. It's been extremely helpful. And most, most conversations are actually easier to be done on a Notion with lots of comments and, and collaboration asynchronously than even a phone call. Some things were Do you also though, have so. a messaging app or anything I use for communication purposes, or is it only email and kind of comments on Notion? No, no, we we do hardly I, we do very little email. It's all Notion and Slack, and Slack is for things that don't need to be preserved over time the same way. Like they, they don't need to have uh, the same accessibility for anyone in the company to see what's happening. Notion is really good for that. But if you need if you need a quick answer to something, or you're trying to do logistics on you know how we're going to get a survey out to clients or something, you know, often Slack is great for that. But um, but we've we found a lot of value in moving a lot of meetings to Notion and then focusing our meeting time on like the truly the things that need to be live, like ideation, brainstorming solutions, um, talking through emotionally charged issues always needs to be um, that that's the that has to be live. Um, and, but so that that's been a big learning for us, and we're still we're still perfecting it, I think. Um, and I, you know, I, one thing I'm pushing now is I do think, although we should try to avoid meetings and replace meetings with notions, I think that we should do more ad hoc calls because imagine if you're in the office, there's a lot of big benefit to like, I have a quick idea. I just want to get your idea, Matias. Can I just call you up for three minutes and talk it out and get your immediate feedback and then go off? I think that's something that's really nice in office that is harder with remote, the like quick turn feedback. That's not a meeting. It's not a big ask. I'm trying to get an entire team really comfortable with just call people like really, really quickly, keep it short and sweet. But I think that's a, that's a yeah, harder thing. That it, there's this nudge uh, bottom in Slack, I think that, that's trying to replicate that. It's like, Hey, let's just hop on a quick call. Cause then if you need to get into someone's calendar, then you know <laughs> that quick idea could turn into two, uh, two weeks oh, or yeah. two weeks lag time. So, so totally agree. Yeah. On that. Um, yeah, and I guess yeah. a lot, a lot of this is related to to the culture that you're building as a you know early stage, fast growing startup. And another big debate: not only we have the remote versus in person hybrid kind of conversation, but there's also another interesting conversation um, around culture and around this notion of a family versus a team. 
And, you know, the mm-hmm. stereotypical notion of having a family and we're a big part of family. And I even described you as being part of FJ's family. So this is kind of ingrained in our vocabulary. But then some some high profile founders like Toby from Shopify or even Brian Armstrong from from Coinbase, they they put up this this you know articles talking about hey we're not a family the even the notion of that of us being a family is preposterous we're a team right and right. there's a lot of implications uh nuanced implications of being a team versus a, a family the obvious one is if you're a family and you have a poor performer it's very hard to let them go um and so and then there's the, the whole debate around how political or how religious could you know a, a company be. If it's a family, you need to take care of a lot of things. If it's a team, maybe less so. So what? How do you approach this in in kickoff? And this is obviously a very you know s- sensitive uh, topic. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I think um, Reed Hastings from Netflix also says that you know advocates for team over family because family is about you know. Uh, love what's unconditional love, right? Like you're, you can never do wrong. And a team is like support, but like accountability. And I definitely, the answer has to be team. Uh, we're, 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 we are a team. We're much more like a sports team. We're not a family. Um, you know, a sports team can be very compassionate for each other is very, you know, a good sports team is going to be very compassionate for each other, care for each other, treat each other with respect and a lot of support and care for that individual and make sure that they're in good shape. But also isn't going to just, you know, let anything go like the way that a, a family might. Um, and so I, I definitely think, I definitely uh, think we're on that side of the uh, discussion. Um, but I do think this, this, that's easier said than done. That's the goal. But, you know, I was just, I was just talking about this with my friend the other day, like kickoff is, um, you know, it's my passion. It's my obsession. It's my, like, I, I wake up in the morning thinking about it. I go to bed thinking about it. Um, it's something I'm just super excited about. And the team I'm building is like, you know, super important. And so I'm spending personally spending a large portion of my time on working on kickoff and our team, you know, maybe not as crazy as me, but they're also spending a large portion of their time. They're investing a lot of themselves in the company and in their colleagues. And so sure. It's easy to say, yeah, we're, we're a team that holds yourself accountable <laughs> and but but you're like, a family. <laughs> it this, feels like a family in many ways. Of, there has to be. And, yeah. you know, um, uh, the job of a the leader is really hard because you, because I want to be friends. I want to be best friends with everybody. And I want to, you know, uh, like build a great relationship with everybody. But at the same time, part of my responsibility to the team and to, uh, you know, everyone in our community and, and all of our stakeholders is to also hold them accountable. And if things are not working, I have to I have to deal with that. And it's uh, it's tough. You know, that's I think that's the one of the many downsides of being a leader is you have to um, have some some distance and some limits to your relationships with people. And so it's finding that right balance. And I think I'm still very much figuring out that balance between family and team. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, John, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about, you know, take advantage of of you being a true insider in, in you know, the fitness industry and talk a little bit about trends and about news around around your industry. But before mm-hmm. that, just even more high level, uh, I always talk about, you know, macro with, with founders and how is macro affecting their specific business and this is not the same for real estate business for a fitness business for a b2b consumer and so our macro discussions you know that we've had in the past 
or the recent ones revolved around uh, inflation, which I think it's it's quite interesting. And you know, we typically talk about interest rates or recession or this and that. And I think inflation rarely comes up, um, and it's a, a relatively new concept for especially younger founders in the U.S. I'm from Argentina, so unfortunately, you know, I've right. you know, I've experienced this my you. entire life. But but for you know the last 10, 20, 20 years. Most tech founders, which are skewing on the on the younger side, you know, they know about it, but they have never experienced it. So, how does that affect kickoff, and how do you even go about fighting inflation? What do you do to prepare inflation, especially important for a consumer business? Yeah, no, for sure. And the I I literally like got up and did a little. Uh, happy dance last week when they announced the October inflation numbers, which were lower than expected. Uh, very, very good news. And I, uh, there's a lot of talk about whether there's going to be, you know, a double spike. It's going to go back up or not. I don't think anyone actually has any idea. Um, hopefully, it continues to go down because that would be the best thing for for, for everyone. Um, yeah, it's it's super important to us because it's super important to our coaches and clients. Um, uh, uh, we we haven't seen a huge, you know, hit to um, uh, our retention because of it. But we we have we have seen some clients are coming saying like, I want to keep going with kickoff, but literally my pay has been inflated away. I'm paying everything I've got in rent and uh, uh, fuel and groceries, and I have no money back left in my bank account. Um, so you know that is that is re- that's reality, and we're 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 you know, targeting a group of uh, people who um, sometimes live pay- paycheck to paycheck. And that's, I I think that is very much our huge opportunity, but there's a downside that, you know, when you have 9% inflation, it hurts them. It hits them really, really hard, much harder than the 1%. Um, so, you know, that is, that is reality. Um, uh, and, you know, what we, the way we worked on, on, uh, on countering that is, uh, you know, focusing on improving the value that we're offering so that we earn our place in their limited, in, in, you know, dwindling uh, uh, amount that they can spend each month. Um, and also thinking about how do we help people save money on healthy food, which is a huge opportunity for us. Hmm. Um, you don't have to spend a tremendous amount to, to eat well. Interesting. How do you do that? We give how them virtualists. Hmm. Very straightforward. We give them exactly what they should eat based on all of their needs and um based on exactly what they should be uh, eating based on, you know, um, their goals and their nutrition preferences, we can give them a list of the healthy foods. So they're not spending on things that they shouldn't even worry about. Right, right. And we do find a lot of clients come to us with just crazy ideas about what they should be spending on supplements and all sorts of stuff that's not good. It's actually probably bad for them and expensive and totally unnecessary. Um, A lot of people are spending a tremendous amount on fruit. We actually... Unfortunately, don't think fruit is that great for you. A little bit of fruit's great. Too much fruit is a lot of sugar and it's not good. Vegetables, way better. Um, so there's just like little things like that that we can actually lower their um, grocery bill um, by just focusing on what they actually should be uh, should be buying. Um, then we, when we did some work to think about how to um, reduce the cost and like add um, cheaper options for people, um, which I think is very important because prices, food prices have been through the roof. Um but the main thing is we just need to see inflation come down. I think I think it will. It's going to be slower but than we'd like. I, I think all of those things that you're mentioning, the the silver lining is that you're 
you're basically improving your product and your service. And so even if inflation does come down, um, you know, you, you're left off with a much better pro- proposition than before, thanks to this. So I think that's that's kind right. of the silver lining. Um, right. Okay, interesting. And there, we can have a whole separate discussion on inflation, but that's, that's helpful. Uh, and going back to more specifically the wellness or the fitness industry, just curious and let's forget about kickoff if you want, like anything on the latest trends or what's cutting edge these days. And we can maybe talk about what's cutting edge today or what could the future of wellness be in the future. Anything that you've come across recently, you say, hey, I'm really excited about XYZ. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a few things that are super interesting. Um, uh, augmented reality and um, and computer vision. Uh, modeling of movement is progressing really fast, and we're seeing a lot of startups actually coming coming at us with um, API-based tools to analyze video, provide suggestions on feedback on form that that could help our coaches. Um, we haven't we haven't gone there yet because uh, it's generally not as generally applicable as we need it. We need it to work for any kind of movement, any kind of exercise. But is that for form? Like for the form, form, and- form, but also injury and disability. And like, you know, when, when we start a client, we want to understand like what pre-existing imbalances, injuries, issues do they have? And most of our clients have terrible issues coming in. And that helps us figure out their, their plan and how we can optimize for them. Um, and, you know, this is a tool that could in the near future save time to do that more effectively and more efficiently, which again is what we're all about. So I'm super excited about that. There's also really interesting things going on in um, an unexpected place, which is we've always been, you know, super anti against the idea of just take a pill and get healthy. That 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 generally doesn't work at all. But there are um, uh, some really interesting uh, uh, studies coming out about I think it's what is it GLP one agonist I think is its name. Um, it's a it's a category of drugs that was developed for um, diabetes um, that they've seen actually works with non-diabetics too in reducing appetite in the right times in the right way um, with very very limited um, negative side effects. Some side effects, but but limited. And um, it's been approved for people who are uh, obese above a certain um, body mass index. Um, so you know this is not really meant for people who are you want to lose five pounds. This is meant for people who are obese and need to make a big change. Um, and we're very skeptical of like anything like this, right? Because there's a lot, been a lot of dangerous and negative things going back to Fin Fin in the nineties, like, you know, it's very, very, um, uh, it's, it's, there's been a bad history of, you know, pharmaceuticals to make you skinny, but this one seems like it might be knock on wood different. And actually, um, the downsides are very well worth the upsides to decreased obesity, decreased heart disease, decreased diabetes. And so we're paying close attention to see if that's something we should help our clients what's, with. Speaking line. of diabetes, what's your take on this, you know, tracking gadgets like the, what, what are they called? The, the CGMs, the continuous glucose yes. monitoring, stuff for like that. For, for non-diabetics. I'm being obsessed. I've never used them, um, but I've been obsessed with that kind of whole new trend. What's What's your take on that? Yes. So that's the other one that we're paying attention to also, along with the, the GLP-1 agonists. Um, uh, I think that the, I think the jury's still out. Um, I think it's really interesting. 
Um, I want to learn more about it. At very least, that data can tell you when you're eating, like can, can just clearly show you when you're eating high sugar things, the things that turn to sugar quickly that you just should not. I suspect that it's not rocket science that yes, if you eat a cookie, your blood sugar is going to spike. You should probably avoid doing that other than special occasion. Like it's going to be almost as bad as you eat a piece of white bread and it's going to be way better if you have lentils, right? Like we already know it almost seems like this is a little bit of a um, gimmick to get people to see the um, sugar Maybe you're nature of what they're eating. You're over-optimizing things. Like for people that are already healthy, um, that they know about this, is it like, oh, maybe if I combine these two foods, I'm not going to have such a big spike. And then, you know, the crash is not going to be as big either. But maybe to your point, we're now just over-optimizing. And, and going back to the out-of-shape majority discussion, this is, at least today, and I'm sure this will change in the future, these are not cheap options. Like you need to pay right. for the apps and need to pay for the for the, for the the um, patches. And they, yeah, and they last for a couple of days. So if you want to be consistent, you need to spend hundreds of dollars. Uh, but right. anyway, super interesting trend as well. Yeah, and I, 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 I have some qualms about it, but I think it's really interesting. I think it might be worth it. It might be worth it to have, the, if the gimmick gets people to eat better, I'm all for it, it yeah. right? Like whatever, yeah. whatever works, it just is expensive and it's kind of invasive and it's a little bit, it's a, you know, so it's maybe not for everybody, but I think it's interesting for sure. And it, and there may be more to it than that too. It's just, there's not been independent studies that have really um, shown the light there yet. How far you personally have gone through the longevity rabbit hole? Is is that something you're interested in or or do you stop at fitness and wellness? I do believe that it's also over optimizing. Um, you know, I think the, for even for me, someone who is like obsessed with fitness, I think the thing I need to do is just improve my nutrition a little bit, um, improve my exercise a little bit, avoid, you know, um, uh, certain, certain foods that we know are, are bad and get a lot of sleep. And I think if you tried, I, I think that it's a little bit, um, distracting to then try and go and like, I'm going to perfect things and I'm going to, you know, I, I think, I think you're likely going to get some, some other issue while you're distracted trying to perfect certain things. I think it's too much to try and that, that's my personal opinion. Yeah. Especially these days that are, are the things are not as mainstream, maybe down the, down the, the road, we have things that make it very, very easy to do certain things. But right now mm -hmm. it feels like to your point, if someone is motivated and and gets down that rabbit hole and gets obsessed with it in a in a kind of intellectually stimulating way. Maybe they reap the benefits of it, but if not, it seems like a like an overkill as well. Um, right. All right, John. Super super interesting discussion. Thanks so much for for the time. Just want to give you thirty seconds for you know closing remarks or where can people find more about you or kickoff and just you know anything you want to say to close it out. Yeah, no, it's been great chatting. Um, we're hiring on all fronts. You can find uh, the the job openings at the bottom of our homepage, trainwithkickoff.com. Um, so definitely looking for designers and growth product manager and uh, healthcare experts. So that's um, that's refreshing with so many people, you know, with so many layoffs around tech. You know, that's that's great. Yeah, um, we're we're super fortunate to be growing quickly and um, uh, able to help more people right now. Um, so uh, definitely check us out if you're uh, in, you know interested in this space. Well, 
really, I would say if you're really obsessed and passionate about it, about the space, then check us out. Um, and, uh, otherwise I, I'm not too active on social media personally. I'm, uh, all over LinkedIn though. So, um, my, my, my name's John Lawrence Gardner. So definitely look me up there connect if you want. Um, but yeah, mainly come, come, come work with us if you're interested in this stuff. That's the, <laughs> that's the main thing. All right, John, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Great. Let's- Great chatting, man.